Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now we have another online griefing mob, and this time their objective was to take out a hedge fund that was shorting a sort of crowd favorite but struggling underdog stock. If the elite knew how to react to these things, they would have done so by now. Welcome to Opinionated with Ben Schiller. Ben is the features editor at Coindesk, he's a seasoned business journalist, and he'll be talking with some of the most fascinating contributors to Coindesk's daily opinions section. Opinionated is sponsored by Nexo.io. And now here he is, Ben Schiller. Welcome to Opinionated. We're joined today by Preston Byrne, a partner with Anderson Kills Distributed Systems Group. He's also a Coindesk columnist, I'm glad to say and a member of an esteemed group of crypto lawyers who actually understand what they're talking about, which um, there are not as many as you might think. And you're also a lover of marmots, Preston. I've never really understood that. What is a marmot and why are you so fond of those things? Well, it's actually funny. Uh, Groundhogs, you know what groundhogs are? They were the things we were celebrating yesterday. No, it's today. Today's Groundhog Day. Oh, today. Today. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A groundhog is a marmot. But not all marmots are groundhogs. So they're basically squirrels the size of a cat. Wow. So what, what made you uh, so fascinated with them? Well, they're quite popular here in, in the northeastern U.S. because they're all over the place. Uh, groundhog Day is a holiday which celebrates the fact that groundhogs can actually see the future. Uh, they're one of the few animals that can. And so these clairvoyant critters emerge from their burrows once a year, and they tell us whether we're going to have six more weeks of winter or not. And then they go back to sleep for another six weeks until they wake up. Uh, But basically, I grew up around them in southern Connecticut. They eat all my plants and they do way cute stuff like run around and play in the front yard and things like that. They're just cute animals that eat my plants. And that's why I like them. And so you actually have some kind of foundation that supports marmots. Is that right? It, it's not mine. <laughs> there's a, there's a, you know, I, I wish it were. And if I ever become very wealthy, I think I'll probably retire. Uh, like Jeff Bezos did today, he's saying he's stepping back to you know engage in things that are more meaningful to him. Uh, so for me, the Marmot Recovery Foundation would be that thing. But it, that's an independent organization in Canada that's actually been very successful at bringing back a particular subspecies of marmot, the Vancouver Island marmot, back from extinction. They were only something like 20 individuals left in the wild uh, about a decade ago, and now there are a few hundred and growing. So they've done a really good job with that. Nice. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, GameStop, and we're a few days away from last week's big event, so maybe we can take stock of that. What are your uh, big takeaways from the event last week? I mean, do you see this as a kind of 
democratic upwelling of uh, retail traders against uh, institutions, or are we overplaying this, do you think? I mean, I don't think democratic is the right word to use for this because it doesn't really have anything to do with a democratic or a constitutional process. What this is, is the latest iteration of online mobs raging out of control and doing something that the institutions or the establishment doesn't know how to handle and can't respond to quickly enough. In this case, for those of us who were living under a rock and need a rehash, there's a subreddit. A subreddit is basically a page. It's a group on the website reddit.com. And there's a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, where basically a bunch of guys sitting at home, basically day traders, talk about the trades they're going to make. About six months ago, one of them identified an opportunity and said, listen, there's a stock called GameStop, right? GME, which is uh, the stock of a video game retailer that's been struggling for a really long time. And the guy said, a lot of people are shorting this stock, right? Which means that there are firms which have borrowed the stock, they borrowed it, sold it, and then are promising to give it back to someone at a later date. The problem with that is if the price of the stock goes up, then what happens is they have to capitalize the contract in order to cover their positions or they get wiped out. So short selling, if the price goes up and moves against you, there's potentially unlimited downside for you. So what happened was a bunch of people said, well, because there are so many shorts on this stock, what we're going to do is we're going to try to wipe them out by driving the price of the stock up as a group of people talking on this subreddit. And in fact, they did that very effectively, driving the stock up from only a few dollars a share to three or $400 a share in the space of a few days. And what do you think the import of this is? I mean, do you think this is something that's going to be repeated? Do you see this as a shift in power from Wall Street to Main Street? Not really. I mean, there, there's going to have to be some type and there will be some type of regulatory response. I tried to talk about this on Twitter, but of course, when you say something you know, on Twitter in front of all the fanboys who are sitting there tweeting about their sick gains, that's gains with a Z, <laughs> um, you know, if you say, well, there's maybe an issue here, they turn around and they pile in on you. That's something which anyone actually who's dealt with the shit coiners will have to, you know, have to pardon my French, but anyone who is advocating for a particular shit coin, like bot armies and things like that, will generally descend on someone who's skeptical about that shit coin or doesn't have nice things to say about it. The same thing happens with stocks, hot stocks that are in the middle of a pump and dump, such as was the case with this. So all of the fanboys pile into your mentions and start giving you grief if you say something like, hey, there's something a little sketchy about this. Maybe there are some legal implications, but this is a podcast in long form, so I can feel a little freer to do it here. Looking at it in terms of the actual trade itself, uh, there was a lot of activity which was legal, right? You're allowed to go and trade the markets on public information. But my guess is there was also probably some unlawful activity sprinkled in there as well. And this is just based on a hunch. This is not based on any evidence. But my guess is that there are holders of large positions in the underlying stocks that were being run up in this particular run, particularly AMC and GME, so GameStop and you know, movie theater chain. So in that instance, there might be some legal consequences for individuals who were pumping up the stock or making public statements about the stock or trying to get people to buy the stock and induce them into purchasing it. That might get people in trouble and have some legal liability. But for the moment, it seems that there's not going to be too much by way of consequences for the people who participated in this, which then, yes, it invites the question of whether this is Main Street roughing up Wall Street and giving them a taste of their own medicine. I mean, I understand there might be some illegal activity in there and sort of some disingenuous people, but uh, you know, this does seem to be an example of meme warfare of people creating kind of online tales that they can tell and kind of bring communities together. And it's the community that matters. 
How do you see Wall Street and those kind of elite interests reacting to this uh, phenomenon? I mean, do you think they'll, they'll look for some kind of crackdown through the law or maybe through other methods? I don't think they really know what to do yet. This sort of activity of online griefing, this was a practice that was first seen in sort of the 2006 to 2008 period in places like Second Life or Habo Hotel. These are online games where you could basically you know, adopt an avatar and do various things. And so what would happen is online griefers would invade spaces and crowd out you know, other users and generally cause difficulty for the people playing the game. Now we're seeing griefing occur in real life, and that occurs in a range of different settings. Uh, we have you know, various online pressure campaigns, which are very easily coordinated and directed via websites like Twitter, and they're directed at people's employers, and they're directed at companies, and they're directed at advertisers. And so as a consequence, we see a lot of uh, reactive positioning to appease those online mobs and ensure that the bad PR goes away when people are under the spotlight. So that's one thing we see a lot of. We also saw riots this summer. Now, riots are nothing new. These riots were all over the United States for months on end, which is something which is really unprecedented. Query whether this has more to do with COVID than the politics of the internet. But without a doubt, that was something which the internet played a part in. We also saw the Capitol riots. And that was something which was totally unprecedented in the history of the United States, which is an online mob basically assembled in the Capitol, uh, having been brought there by websites like Facebook and egged on by politicians. Basically, a large number of kooky conspiracy theorists showed up at the Capitol building and managed to breach the security at the Capitol building with the consequence that now the Capitol is surrounded by a ring of steel. And so now we have another online griefing mob, and this time their objective was to take out a hedge fund that was shorting a sort of crowd favorite but struggling underdog stock. So from this standpoint, if the elite knew how to react to these things, they would have done so by now. I just don't think that they're really fully aware that a change has occurred. Uh, I saw someone, I can't remember who, tweeted the other day, and they said, maybe the problem wasn't Donald Trump. So we can all remember the last couple of years. And, uh, and obviously, everyone was freaking out all the time about everything right on the internet. And of course, then Donald Trump goes away and we see the Capitol riot. And then we also see this other thing crop up almost immediately. So someone said, maybe it isn't Donald Trump. Maybe he was just a lightning rod, which brought all of the world's chaos you know, to him. And now that he's gone, we're seeing it emerge in other places. So he was more of a symptom of these structural forces than the actual force behind them. I mean, not, not even a symptom, but rather a, a creation. I mean, it's not that he's a symptom. There's no disease. It's just that we live in a new world and people don't know how to interpret what's happening around them. I mean, so they, we've also seen ridiculous things like CNN and other writers have said, well, you know, the Reddit moms were white supremacy was involved in this particular thing against this hedge which is absurd. So the people are wheeling out any explanation they can in the sort of old world way of looking at things, right? Imagining that there's an organized group of baddies like sitting in a shed somewhere in West Virginia plotting against the well-being of the country. What they don't realize, it's a decentralized group of people sitting in their boxes at home, bored out of their minds, spending their stimulus checks on you know, their brokers. Like it's not, and I don't think it's any more complicated than that. It's just that these particular assemblies of people behave in ways that the government doesn't understand and is very ill-equipped to deal with. Many investors want to be a part of the next bull run. Others seek to build their dream home, finally launch that startup, or fund their education. Try Nexo's instant crypto credit lines and borrow against any major cryptocurrency with no minimum or maximum withdrawal amounts, no fees whatsoever, no credit checks, and flexible repayment. 
Not to mention the APR starts at just 5.9%. Stay on top of your investment game with Nexo.io. And remember, it's your crypto, your credit, your choice. Get started at Nexo.io. You suggested in this piece that you wrote for Coindesk last week that the elites might use the question of Section 230 reform, which is the idea of making social media networks responsible for content on their networks. How do you think that might work in this uh, sort of scenario? I mean, could you ever hold Facebook to account for something that a bunch of Redditors are doing or a bunch of people on the internet are doing? At the moment, no because Section 230 operates to prevent Facebook from being held liable under various statutes. If the founders of Reddit were involved or employees of Reddit were involved in this case, or, or any other website, for example, we know that Reddit was a site that where they organized. We know that Discord was another, they had a, a Wall Street bet server as well. If those companies aided and abetted, uh, actively aided and abetted the commission of this offense, then it could be the case that those companies could be found liable for law violations of various kinds. Section 230 has two provisions. Section 230C1 says that a, a provider of a interactive computer service is not going to be liable for content that's put there by other users or other information content providers, whether that's an automated service, a user, whatever. So Twitter is only liable for its own speech. It's not liable for third-party speech. The second piece has to do with content moderation, which isn't relevant here. So in this instance, if Reddit just sits on its hands, people can say basically whatever they want. Um, they can threaten people. They can plan securities fraud. They can do whatever. But if Reddit is not actively, materially developing content on its site that pertains to these things uh, or encouraging people to engage in illegal activity, then Reddit's not going to be liable. Now, I know that Alexis Ohanian, I think, actually posted a thing or two. I can't remember exactly what about it on Twitter, but I'm not sure he's actually still involved in the day-to-day -day running of that business. But anyway, long story short, if the Section 230 immunity were repealed or revoked, that would pose all kinds of problems for these companies well beyond uh, something like Wall Street bets. But people are mooting it. People are talking about it. I think the prospects of that type of reform being enacted are very, very slim, but it is being discussed. I mean, if you were king for the day, what would you do about this so-called problem? Or would you say that we just need to adapt to it more sort of gracefully? Oh, oh man. I, well, what could I say? <laughs> there are some funny things I could say about Redditors that would get me in really large trouble. Uh, so I'm not going to say those <laughs> things. I'll tell you what will happen. Uh, what will happen is investigators are probably already combing two sets of data. They're combing trading data and they're combing posts on the site. And they're going to try to associate trading data with posts on the site to ascertain whether any of the communications which are on the site were associated with uh, unlawful solicitations uh, or, or any trading data rather was associated with unlawful solicitations on the site. So if someone said, I think GME is going to go to a billion dollars a share on Reddit and it transpired that before they made that post, they also took a large position in GME and also they have two or three or 10 or 15 or 20 stock accounts, which they're using to upvote those particular posts. Guess what? That's fraud. So, so that's the kind of thing where I, I suspect there was actually quite a bit of that happening. But it's going to take a very thorough investigation to ascertain whether that was the case. But what would I do? Um, it's not entirely clear what should be done. There are a couple of areas where I think we could start making small incremental changes on things like contractual terms to account for online mobs. But I think that those changes are going to happen 
only as this becomes a significant business problem on a daily, weekly basis, and companies need to figure out how to deal with it. You could change it, for example, by including in all, all financial contracts an implied term that uh, if an online mob focuses on the stock and manipulates the price, that trading will be frozen and the contract can be discharged right, at the option of either party. Um, so that's the kind of thing where we could say, listen, there's some legal mechanic that we can build into these contracts that we have which would allow us to exit in the event that an online mob uh, decided to get involved in the transaction. Because I think there are strong policy reasons for not permitting large groups of people just to wage wanton destruction in the financial markets simply because they can. How would you define an online mob though? I mean, is that more than two people? I mean, <laughs> That's a good question. So I wrote, a, I wrote a blog post a while ago, which I actually linked to in my GameStop piece about employment contracts, because one of the issues was people kept getting fired because they were wrongfully accused of something on the internet or you know they got unwanted attention on Twitter or whatever. And so there for that contract I defined a sort of you know online mob event as an event where 10 or more individuals not related to the company, its customers, its board members, its employees or any relatives thereof contact the company about a particular employee with opinions about the employee recommending the employee be dismissed. So there are thresholds which you could set. So if like two or three people write to your company and say, this person's a real jerk, right? That's something you could foresee happening in the ordinary course of business. If 10 people write to your employer within a 24-hour period and say, this person said X and they're bad and they should be fired, that's the kind of thing where I have never seen that happen once in my professional career outside of times when you hear you know someone becomes a internet celebrity on twitter so that's the kind of thing where you could create contractual language which would allow for a cooling off period and to remove the person from the battlefield you know and then reintroduce them at a later date without destroying their lives their job or creating an incentive for online mobs to remove people from their positions in that way similarly we would have to look at the exact mechanics of how this online mob evolved We'd have to run some analytics on Reddit, determine you know, how many people actually bought the stock. Were they all WSB users? How many posts were there? If this was organized by one person, this was a pump and dump. If someone turned around and orchestrated all of this, this is how a pump and dump works, and those are unlawful. So I think that if you then spread it out among 2 million people, there's going to be some unlawful activity in there somewhere, even if some people are victims rather than promoters. The issue with this whole Reddit situation was that a lot of the people who are victims of the scheme don't actually view themselves as victims of the scheme. If you bought at 100 and now you've been wiped out because it's 90 or whatever it is, you're a victim, right? You, you've been duped into buying the stock by someone who was in earlier than you were and sold the top uh, before all of the trading bans came into effect. And that's something some people will figure out. There will be lawsuits. There will be a, a forensic analysis of what's been traded and who's been trading it and what happened on Reddit in the wake of this event. That's my suspicion. Long before we had meme stocks, we had meme coins, and a lot of people have been seeing these parallels between the world of you know, stock trading and the world of crypto trading. What do you think the implications of last week might be for the discussion around regulation of cryptocurrency? Do you think it's going to infect the debate at all? Uh, not yet. I mean, if it hasn't, crypto is not, it doesn't fall within the securities regimes uh, of, you know, or at least crypto that isn't a security doesn't fall within a securities trading regime. So that environment has been fairly lawless for a fairly long time. I think the SEC's justification for not getting involved, apart from the fact that they don't have statutory authority to get involved, 
is that with a decentralized cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum, there ostensibly isn't any information asymmetry between a trader, you know, a day trader and a whale. So although the whale has a larger position, it's not like there's some back office somewhere that you can call up and you can say, you know, get me the CEO of Bitcoin and tell me how it's going to perform next month. So there's kind of an equal playing field where everybody has the same state of knowledge. And so we haven't really seen any regulation to date. And I don't think that changes anything. So, but we've seen this behavior on the crypto markets for years. We've seen coins get pumped and dumped all the time. And you could go after it as a straight fraud issue, but usually there, nothing happens. You know, So I certainly wouldn't recommend to people that they think that crypto is a green light and it's okay to go and do that sort of stuff because it isn't. But as a general rule, this sort of stuff happens in crypto with greater frequency. The Dogecoin pump happened sort of on the back of the GME pump. I got people writing to me being like, oh, should I buy Doge? And I was like, it's six cents in Dogecoin. Are you kidding? Of course you shouldn't buy Doge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 man, I remember when Dogecoin was, you know, one one thousandth of a cent. And, uh, and so what is six cents? Uh, sorry, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe there will be regulation. I just don't see it coming out of the GameStop situation. It would really require a substantial uh, expansion of the SEC's regulatory perimeter. Uh, I mean, crypto is actually, it's governed by the CFTC because there are futures contracts that are denominated in crypto. And so their jurisdiction would apply to crypto trades. But we just haven't seen any regulatory intervention in the crypto space over price manipulation or anything like that ever. It just hasn't happened. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Preston. You can check out Preston's work at coindesk.com and his latest piece is The Squeezing, How the GameStop Backlash Will Curtail Freedom. And actually, you say in the piece that you're concerned about the backlash to the events last week that people will be calling for restrictions on free speech so something to look out for as we go forward i guess awesome thanks for having me on thanks for coming and thanks very much for listening we'll see you next time if you enjoyed this episode of opinionated subscribe on your favorite podcast player just google coindesk opinionated or go to coindesk.com forward slash podcasts forward slash opinionated Hopefully this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.